Your vote really, really, really counts. A lot. Well, what would you know about it, Al Gore? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Only a little scared. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From with Pacifica you. Radio in Los and Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM People Powered Radio in Los Angeles. In Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI News Radio. In Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. And in Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. In Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota and coast to coast and around the globe. Streaming on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey and Radio Sputnik Blanketing, Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, coming up, a federal judge in Florida has now extended the voter registration deadline in the Sunshine State by just one day, at least for now. At the moment, a hearing is coming up tomorrow on the Democratic Party's lawsuit seeking to extend voter registration in that key swing state after Hurricane Matthew swept through uh, last week, knocking out what was to have been the big final weekend for voter registration drives, the big important final weekend for voter registration drives uh, amidst a very important election in this country, to say the least. The uh, the deadline was was supposed to be today for registering to vote in Florida. That has now been extended to Wednesday after a federal judge found Republican Governor Rick Scott's reason for refusing to extend the uh, the voter registration deadline in the wake of the uh, that hurricane and Rick Scott telling everyone to get the hell out of Florida, that federal judge described Rick Scott's reason as, quote, poppycock. Yes, he actually said that in his uh, in his order. We'll get to that in a bit. Millions, of course, were evacuated Thanks to Governor Rick Scott. Well, not thanks to Governor Rick Scott, but thanks to the hurricane and Rick Scott's appropriate order to take shelter, to flee, particularly from coastal areas. But that hurricane went all the way up the East Coast. It displaced a lot of people. They are still facing uh, flooding across the state. And so we'll speak momentarily with one of the folks who knows more about voter registration and absentee balloting and pretty much everything else related to it uh, in that uh, very key swing state of Florida momentarily. Also coming up a little bit later, 
Desi Doyen is back with another Green News report. How are you doing today, Desi? I'm doing all right. Recovering from the second presidential debate. <sighs> yes, I think we all are. I think the nation is. You join a lonely and uh, desperate nation at this point. <laughs> uh, that guy uh, who asked the question in, in the uh, debate, since you bring that up, in St. Louis, Missouri, my old hometown, uh, the guy who, who brought up that question that about... That one energy question, yeah. One energy question. Not climate change, mind you, nope. but energy. He asked specifically about how to stop putting fossil fuel companies out of business. It was kind of a right-wingy question there. Uh, it turns out there's a reason for that. That guy works at a, at a coal plant? Yes, he is a coal-fired power plant operator. So his specific question was really more about fossil fuel jobs. Mm -hmm. But he also did mention um, in this interview with the New York Times where he said, you know, that we're also realizing that this has to be environmentally responsible. So, you know, it was definitely a question I'm asking about how to save his own job. But he did also bring in the environmental aspect. It should be added, by the way, that St. Louis is home to Peabody Coal, or now I think Peabody Energy is what they may yeah, call themselves. Yeah, they call themselves an energy company. Uh, the, one of the nation's largest, if not the largest, a huge coal company yes. right in the middle of St. Louis. So not surprising that that guy would have that question. In any event, uh, it, it was it became cause for someone actually saying the words climate change during a presidential debate. So there's that. We'll let you guys uh, figure out which candidate actually said those <laughs> words. Actually, we'll talk about it in our uh, in our Green News report upcoming uh, here on the broadcast today. Uh, all right. Well, following the 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 bombshell hot mic 2005 videotape of uh, Donald Trump lewdly boasting about sexually assaulting women. Hillary Clinton's lead in the polls nationally uh, has once again begun to widen in a pretty substantial way now. Uh, a big league, uh, perhaps, as Trump might say. Uh, but, the, uh, but, but to the Republican Party, everything's still going just fine. At least that's the public face they're trying to put out there. At least that's the public face that Republican National Committee Chair Reince Priebus is trying to put out there. He reiterated his support on Monday. For the embattled Republican nominee, Donald Trump, telling uh, members of the RNC on a conference call late yesterday that uh, that the GOP stands uh, fully behind Trump's campaign. Everything is on course. Everything is going well. The relationship between the RNC and the Trump campaign has has it's never been better. First of all, I want to make it very clear that the RNC is in full coordination with the Trump campaign. And we have a great relationship with them. Nothing has changed in our support for our nominee. Oh, if there's any one thing that is our job to do, it is to support the nominee that was clearly elected. We're not walking away from anything. Um, the Trump campaign and the RNC is working together. Everything is on course. And I just I want you to understand that we just, in fact, uh, green-lighted uh, a number of things this afternoon. Uh, in coordination with the Trump campaign. We are in full coordination with the Trump campaign. We've got a great relationship with them. And um, we're going to continue to work together, make sure that he wins in November. Okay, they're going to, of course, what else do you expect them to say? Other than I resign or I'm leaving or we're throwing this guy off of the this. ticket. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but so that was uh, Republican Party Chair Reince Priebus Monday night. Uh, now, uh, well, after the uh, after that tape came out, what was it? Late Friday. 
of course, the polls, uh, if you look at the tracking polls, they really started to change in a very, very big way against Donald Trump. He was able to shore that up a little bit. It seems on uh, during the debate on Sunday night that we talked about on yesterday's program, um, that debate right afterwards, you remember those snap polls while the media was out there saying that Donald Trump did pretty well. He survived. He did OK. Uh, he, he may have stopped the bleeding. That's what the, the mainstream corporate punditry was saying. But their actual polls were saying something different. Their actual polls were saying Clinton won and won fairly substantially, according to the CNN ORC poll. Uh, that night, the snap poll of uh, people who actually watched the debate, Clinton won 57 percent to Donald Trump's 34 percent. So uh, now 63 percent of debate watchers said Trump did better than they expected, uh, but he still uh, lost to Clinton 57 to 34 percent, according to CNN's snap poll on Sunday night. Uh, YouGov put out a similar poll, finding it a little bit closer. Hillary Clinton was up by five points on the who won question. In that case, Clinton won 47 to 42 against Donald Trump. But if you look at some of the details uh, of, you know, the demographics, Univision viewers, Hispanic viewers, uh, they scored the second debate 92 to 8 for Hillary Clinton, 92 to eight for I'm Hillary not Clinton. really that good at math, but I think that might be considered decisive. That might be, at least amongst the Hispanic community. But then we got some actual polls uh, right after that were taken right after the uh, the videotape had come out. The first poll taken since that uh, 2005 tape had been released in which Trump was bragging about grabbing women's genitals uh, that showed the Republican nominee taking a really big hit among voters nationally. Hillary Clinton led lead led in that poll that came out on Monday by 14 points over Donald Trump, 52 to 38 in a head to head matchup among likely voters that according to the NBC News Wall Street Journal poll. That was released on Monday. That poll, was, however, was conducted on Saturday and Sunday after the tape came out, but before the Sunday night debate. Uh, a 14-point lead for Hillary Clinton. Now, when you added third-party candidates into the question, uh, she still had a pretty huge lead, 11 points, with uh, Libertarian uh, candidate Gary Johnson uh, taking nine points, Gary uh, Green Party candidate Jill Stein at two points, but Clinton was leading is leading 46 to 35 among voters who after the tape came out, but before the debate. Now that debate uh, looks like, in fact, may have helped Donald Trump shore things up a little bit. Hillary Clinton now holds just a nine-point lead. It's still pretty huge, but it is off a fairly good amount since uh, since the debate. This is a nine-point lead over Donald Trump after Sunday's presidential debate, according to the same poll, the NBC News Wall Street Journal poll. So we're trying to compare apples to apples here. These numbers indicate that uh, Clinton is still doing very well against Trump nationally, but his uh, debate performance uh, earned him at least a slight recovery for now in this one poll. In a four-way matchup in this case, however, Clinton still has the support of 46% of likely voters. Trump has just 37. That is nine points overall. 
with Gary Johnson at 8% and Jill Stein at 2%. So she's still doing well, but he does seem to have done uh, a, a decent job of stopping the bleeding, at least for now. He's still getting huge crowds at his rallies. He still has a lot of supporters out there and, frankly, a lot of support, a lot of strong support from a lot of Republicans around the country. More importantly, as usual, we don't have a national uh, election in this country. We have 50 state-by-state elections. And once again, the state of Florida is likely to play a very key role in this year's election, where you've got a lot of Hispanic voters, but you've also got a lot of Republican voters, and you've got a Republican governor who seems to be willing to once again do anything he can to support his candidate, who happens to be Donald Trump. We're going to talk about that and the hurricane and the effect that Hurricane Matthew had on this or may have on this election right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so, now more than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going, or even just a one-time-only contribution. While everyone else covers the horse race, we also keep our eyes on the track conditions those horses are running on. Because voting systems, access to the polls, and citizen oversight of election results can make all the difference. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy by taking about 60 seconds right now to stop by bradblog.com donate today. And thanks. All right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. Former Vice President Al Gore returned to the great state of Florida today to join Hillary Clinton in a rally in Miami. Here's a little bit of what happened. Your vote really, really, really counts a lot. You... You can consider me as an Exhibit A of that group. Now, for those of you younger, for those of you who are younger than 25, you might not remember the election of 2000 and what happened here in Florida and across the country. For those of you older than 25, I heard you murmuring uh, just now. But take it from me, it was a very close election. Elections, well, (laughs) here's my point. Here's my point. I don't want you to be in a position years from now where you welcome Hillary Clinton uh, and, and say, 
Actually, you did win. It just did, it just wasn't close enough to make sure that all the votes were, were counted or whatever. That's Al Gore in Miami, Florida, today as the crowd chants, you won, you won, you won, talking about the 2000 election. But uh, never mind the vote counting for the moment. First, folks have to be registered to vote uh, before we can even worry about whether their vote will count. Voter registration deadlines are this week in uh, more than a dozen states, including uh, Washington, Arizona, Arkansas, Hawaii, Michigan, New Mexico, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Texas, Georgia, Illinois, Kentucky, Louisiana, Montana, Tennessee, uh, Illinois, did I say that one? Yes. Missouri, New York, North Carolina, Idaho, Oklahoma, Delaware, and yes, the state of Florida. And once again, the road to the White House marches straight through it this year, at least for Donald Trump, as experts consider it nearly impossible for him to win the White House without at least winning the state of Florida, while Hillary Clinton appears to have several different routes, even if she does not take Florida which polls currently show her narrowly leading at the moment. Still, Barack Obama narrowly won the Sunshine State back in 2012 by just about 73,000 votes. And once again, Florida could be very close. And therefore, it's no surprise, perhaps, that Republican Governor Rick Scott, a supporter of Donald Trump's, after being asked last week to extend the voter registration deadline in the wake of evacuations across the state as Hurricane Matthew blew up the East Coast, uh, declined to allow that extension of the voter registration deadline, which had been set for Tuesday, October 11. That, even though a number of organizations across the state were forced to cancel their final weekend voter registration events last weekend, which is traditionally one of the biggest for new uh, new registrations, while everyone was scrambling for cover and safety. Scott said, I'm not going to extend it. This was on Thursday of last week as he was warning everyone to leave the state. He said, everybody's had a lot of time to register on top of that. We have a lot of opportunities to vote, early voting and absentee voting, so I don't intend to make any changes. That was last Thursday. The, uh, the Florida Democratic Party has sued Republican Governor Rick Scott and his Secretary of State Ken Detzner in federal court in hopes of extending the registration deadline, noting in their complaint that just last week, on the same day he was making those remarks that he was not going to extend the registration deadline, they, uh, the Democrats note that Scott unambiguously ordered Florida citizens to, quote, evacuate, evacuate, evacuate from the areas in Hurricane Matthews path, which was much of the state. Scott said there are no excuses. You need to leave. This storm will kill you. Time is running out. And that was, of course, the same day that Scott was refusing to extend the voter registration deadline for the very citizens heeding his orders to evacuate, forcing uh, many voters to choose between their safety and the safety of their families on one hand and their fundamental right to vote on the other, according to the Democrats' lawsuit. On Monday, a federal judge ordered a one-day extension for now, just one day, from Tuesday to Wednesday at 5 p.m. local time to allow some voters to register and for voter registration workers to turn in already completed registration forms. 
and to schedule a hearing uh, for Wednesday to discuss whether the deadline should be further extended to accommodate voters displaced by the storm. In his order on Monday, U.S. District Court Judge Mark E. Walker, an appointee uh, of uh, Barack Obama, though he was confirmed 94 to 0 by the U.S. Senate, wrote in his order extending the registration deadline by one day for now, quote, These voters have already had their lives and quite possibly their homes turned upside down by Hurricane Matthew. They deserve a break, especially one that is mandated by the U.S. Constitution. Ensuring they can exercise their constitutional right to vote thus promotes the public interest. If aspiring eligible Florida voters are barred from registering to vote, then those voters are stripped of one of their most precious freedoms. Judge Walker wrote in his order, he said, uh, this isn't golf. There are no mulligans. He added, it has been suggested that the issue of extending the voter registration deadline is about politics. Poppycock. The judge wrote, this case is about the right of aspiring eligible voters to register and to have their votes counted. Nothing could be more fundamental to our democracy. So will this one day extension of the Florida voter registration uh, deadline actually make any difference for Florida voters? And what are the possibilities of a further extension of that deadline as many Florida voters are, are still now just returning to flooded out homes and struggling with uh you know, with stuff that is of more immediate importance, I suspect, than making sure they are registered to vote necessarily today. Also, what can we glean from the number of absentee ballot requests that have already been made in the state of Florida? And, well, because it's Florida, what other surprises might the uh, great sunshine state hold in store for all of us, the entire nation, once again in the uh, 2016 election? Here to help us figure out all of this is one of Florida's, if not the nation's, leading experts in all of this, Dr. Daniel A. Smith, Ph.D., University of Florida Research Foundation professor and president and founder of Election Smith Inc., specializing in empirical research on voting and electoral processes in the American states. Dr. Daniel Smith, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Well, it's great to be back, Brad. Uh, great to have you back. Uh, first, I, I trust that you and yours survived uh, Hurricane Matthew in, in good order there? Yes. My neighbors across the street are having a new roof put on, but it was minimal damage from the storm. We kind of got spared here inland. Oh, good to hear it. Very good to hear it. Um, uh, all right. Is there any way to specifically quantify... Uh, uh, Dan, just how many voter registrations, uh, and both Democratic and Republican and non-party affiliated voters, how many might have been lost voter registrations uh, over the days that Floridians were evacuating and voter registration drives were canceled as, as uh, voters and, I guess, potential voters ran for cover? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's one that is obviously of concern. Uh, people, even inland, were very concerned about uh, what kind of destruction Hurricane Matthew might uh, wrought on, on us. Mm -hmm. And we weren't thinking about voter registration in Alachua County, much less over on the coast. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I did when I heard Governor Scott kind of refusal at his press conference to consider trying to extend the voter registration or have his Secretary of State, Ken Detzner, mm -hmm. uh, do so, um, I looked back at some of the old voter files that I have uh, going back to 2012 and, and looked at the last five or six days of voter registration uh, prior to that 
cutoff, which was October 9th back in 2012. And the numbers actually jumped out at me. Um, on the last day of voter registration, October 9th back in 2012, there were at least 64,000 people who were registered to vote. And if you look at the last six days from uh, on, October... On the last day, 64,000? Wow. That's right, 64,000. Okay. And if you, if you look back to six days prior, which was roughly the same period in terms of preparation and mm -hmm. the actual evacuation orders and, and now the cleanup uh, in many of these counties, uh, there were over 116,000 individuals mm. who registered to vote. And these are successful registrations. These are not ones that were partial, that were thrown out mm -hmm. because they didn't have a Social Security number or a driver's license ID or an incomplete address. These were people who actually were on the books. And I actually looked to see, well, did these people, were they engaged or uh, were they, as Governor Scott said, um, you know, the people who are already interested in the election had already registered to vote. Well, of those 116,000, almost three out of four turned out to vote in the 2012 general election. Mm. So these were not disinterested people. Mm -hmm. They may have been procrastinating, um, but they were engaged and, and were carrying out their civic duties of registering 29 days out, as we have here in Florida, mm -hmm. and turning out to vote on that uh, November 6, 2012 general election. Does does your data uh, give us any indication? And and by the way, when I, I just need to say this again, uh, when it comes to the right to vote, uh, I don't care whether you're Republican, Democrat, non-party uh, affiliated. I want everybody who wants to be able to vote to be able to vote. But can we glean anything from those numbers, those big numbers from 2012, uh, as far as how it affects Democrats versus Republicans in the final days of uh, of uh, voter registration? Yes, absolutely. Of those about 116,000 who registered in the last six days, about 39% were Democrats, um, about 35.5% were no-party affiliates, not choosing any political party, mm -hmm. um, about 21.5% were Republicans, and the remainder, a little less than 4%, were third-party adherents. Mm. So it, it dis definitely does disproportionately um, uh, advantage Democrats if you think about those last-minute registrants, but mm -hmm. that makes sense in terms of the Obama campaign having a big voter registration drive. Mm -hmm. Those numbers are even greater if you go back and look at 2008, where I believe there were over 100,000 individuals who were successfully registered on the last day of voter registration mm -hmm. way back in, on October 6, 2008. And again, disproportionately Democratic when you look at the overall voter file in Florida. You, you can also get a sense in terms of you know race and ethnicity. Um, we had it back in 2012, about 13.5% of all those voters who were registered at the time of the election uh, were either Hispanic or African American mm -hmm. uh, or black, as we call them in the, in the voter file. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of their voter registrations on the last six days, both of them were well over 20%. Um, and so, uh, there, however you slice it, the, the, the voters who were registering at the last minute um, tended to be more Democratic or no-party affiliate, tended to be more likely to be African-American and Hispanic, and, and lastly, they were more likely to be younger. Mm -hmm. If you look at those who registered who were the age between 18 and 29, over 44% of those 116,000-some-odd registrants were between 18 and 29. Uh, and again, it makes sense. It doesn't mean they're not engaged. Mm -hmm. It means that they have to go through that first hoop registering to vote in order to participate, and many of them don't realize that it's 29 days out. Mm -hmm. The other thing, Brad, that I want to emphasize, and I don't have a way to get at this, right. but we have a lot of people who move from states that have same-day or election-day registration. Mm -hmm. A lot of those are in the Northeast and the Midwest, 
they come down to Florida, they were able to register to vote and vote either early mm-hmm. or on Election Day. And in Florida, they come down and they're finally reminded by a neighbor or an organization or a church, hey, if you're not registered 29 days or out, you can't vote in this election. It's not like some of these other states, like uh, Ohio, where they had that golden week right. back in 2012. It's been now... Had, yeah. Had, emphasis exactly, on had, had yeah. But you could still, you know, do that in North Carolina. They had it, and then they didn't have it. Now they have it again right. in terms of being able to uh, register to vote during the, the early voting period. That's not the case in Florida. If you're not registered, you don't get a vote. And so a lot of people don't uh, realize this. It doesn't dawn upon them until that last minute, and especially... Um, you know, these people who, who may not have had the opportunity to be pre-registered in high school. And, and I suspect that one of the uh, reasons they might find out that, oh, God, i got to register, the deadline is here, uh, is because you hear it a lot on the news and so forth, on television in the final days before the election, uh, I'm sorry, before the deadline uh, strikes. But in this case, I'm not in Florida, but I suspect even if you weren't in, uh, you know, the areas that were most threatened by Hurricane Matthew, that the media down there for the last uh, week or so was all about the hurricane. They weren't saying, oh, by the way, you need to find an opportunity to get out and register. So the word about, uh, you know, the news that the deadline was approaching, I suspect, probably didn't make as much uh, news as it normally would. Is, is that uh, Absolutely the case. Absolutely the case. I mean, we all had our radios tuned in. Yeah. It was 24-7 hearing either Governor Scott or the local weather uh, men and women talking about the projected paths and the evacuation and uh, where you can get your supplies and whether or not the local supermarket was out of water. Right. Um, no one was talking about, oh, and, and while you're at it, <laughs> yes. stop by your supervisor of elections office if it's not closed right. and, and register to vote. And, and what, what are, uh, so what are Democrats now hoping, because uh, it is, I guess, the Democrats who are filing, the Republicans, I guess, you would think they're, you know, they're going to lose a lot of their voters as well who weren't able to register. But what are they, uh, what are the Democrats now hoping to have Judge Walker do in this hearing? He's extended it for the uh, the deadline for one day through Wednesday, but that hearing is on Wednesday. What are the uh, Democrats hoping he might do at this point? Add another weekend to the deadline? Does that seem, uh, does that seem possible at this point? You know, I don't know the details. I believe they're having a hearing mm-hmm. right now. Um, but you're absolutely right. This is not just Democrats. As I said, over 20%, 21% of those 116,000 uh, over the last six days in 2012 were Republicans. That's, that's over 25,000 Republicans mm-hmm. who registered in the last six days. These are people that Governor Scott has said uh, weren't engaged. They already had all this time to register, and yet... Here are fellow Republicans who are waiting to the last minute, procrastinating to register to vote. Um, I think there are a couple remedies that I would imagine are out there in terms of extending the deadline. And it's not just the parties, let's remember, that are interested in this. We have um, dozens upon dozens of what the state calls third-party voter registration organizations, groups that are out there on the grounds registering individuals who are eligible citizens, uh, who are, for one reason or another, not registered to vote, and getting those forms in, uh, many of them were in evacuation zones themselves, these, signa- these, mm-hmm. these gatherers of petitions. They have to get these petitions in. Uh, they have other things that are much more of concern, their, their families' safety, their property, their, their businesses. And so it's not just the parties and their self-interest. It's also these third-party organizations that are out there, the League of Women Voters, mm-hmm. the, the Rock the Vote, here on campus at the University of Florida, Chomp the Vote. 
they're out there registering individuals. They need that extra time because they had to go and make sure that their property and their families were doing okay. Are, are there additional concerns, uh, Daniel Smith, about voters who, who, who have may, may have had you know papers, for example, uh, voter ID and such, or even absentee ballots? They have, may have already been sent out. Uh, that were washed away in the flooding? Are, are, are Democrats asking, to your knowledge, or, or for any accommodations to be made in that regard? Is there any concern, you know, as far as simply being able to cast a vote, you're, you know, having your papers in order, or is there considered enough time uh, in the next 28 days or so uh, to, re- to replace those papers at this point? That is a terrific question, and one that I haven't heard anything about. Uh, we have had tens of thousands, millions, actually, of uh, absentee ballots mailed out. Many of those are going to these uh, coastal areas that were on mandatory or voluntary evacuation. Um, Many of them are still flooded, uh, areas like in St. Augustine, um, over on the coast south Mm -hmm. of Jacksonville. Uh, These communities, uh, some 25 counties that were in this area that Governor Scott was saying evacuate. Leave. Yeah, yeah, leave. You have ballots (laughs) that have both been put in the mail to those who have requested them Mm -hmm. or who are going out automatically, as well as thousands upon thousands of ballots that were put in mailboxes that may or may not still exist. (laughs) You know, it's a really great question in terms of what are we going to do with those ballots? And surely there's going to be individuals who said that they filled out an absentee ballot and they put it in the mailbox and there's no record of it. Um, yeah, there, you would think that there might be some uh, way to, to allow for a cure period for those individuals. Uh, you know, and, and I, am, uh, I am no fan of New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, nor am I a fan of the, the speci- some of the specific remedies that he put in place for voters after uh, uh, Hurricane Sandy struck back in 2012, just days before the election. But at least he seemed... To be concerned about, uh, you know, you know how to accommodate voters who were who were dealing with this storm in its aftermath. Uh, it was kind of it has been kind of shocking that um, Governor Rick Scott down there in Florida seems to be doing just the opposite. He does not seem to have any uh, concern about it. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe some of these numbers, uh, uh, Dan, I, I read this. Uh, this is from your blog, an exclusive yesterday at the election Smith blog uh, that I'm sure is a typo. So let me let you clarify this. You you write that between September 10 and October 10, 2016, the Republican Party of Florida submitted 117 new voter registration forms. The Florida Democratic Party uh, submitted 6,920. So that must be a typo, right? 117 new registration forms over the past month from the uh, Florida Republican Party? Yeah, I think the Democratic one was a little less than that for the month, uh, as opposed to since they started doing voter registration drives. But yes, um, I believe the Democrats was in the four or 5,000 range, if I recall correctly. Those are official records that uh, the parties and all those third-party voter registration organizations are submitting to the state mm-hmm. uh, in terms of their act- active um, roles in, in registering people to vote. It was implemented, uh, this law that requires groups to register and then report their activities by the Republican legislature because they were concerned about voter registration fraud uh, stemming from the allegations with ACORN way back in the the mid-2000s here in Florida. Mm -hmm. Um, But that number certainly jumped out as being ridiculously low. 117. Um, Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've we've had about 600 
51,000 new registrations here in Florida from January 1st through September 1st. Um, many of those individuals are registering through their DMV offices or as pre-registration in high schools or directly at the supervisor's office when they come in or the VA hospital or whatnot. Um, you know, Democrats have far exceeded uh, Republicans uh, in terms of voter registration here in Florida over that period of time from January through September 1st. About 221,000 Democrats newly registered. These are not people who are changing the registrations. Mm -hmm. And about 185,000 Republicans have registered to vote. So obviously Republicans are registering not just through the Republican Party of Florida's uh, efforts. There are local party operations on the grounds that are collecting. But the the vaunted ground game is, is certainly severely lacking with respect to Republicans in Florida when it comes to voter registration. And that very well may be a calculation with respect to, to Governor Scott. But going back to your earlier point, Governor Scott has a history of not being very interested in expanding voting rights. Uh, he signed legislation that cut our early voting period mm-hmm. from uh, 14 days down to eight days. It eliminated the final Sunday of early voting. That was a huge success back in 2008. It led to huge lines, as you recall, back mm-hmm. in 2012, um, where we actually ironically had Sunday voting in a couple areas because the lines were so long, the people in line at 7 p.m. on the final Saturday, I think it was November <laughs> 3rd, ended up casting their ballots on Sunday, on Sunday. November 4th. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, we actually did have Sunday voting uh, right. in a couple areas, especially down in Miami-Dade. Um, you know, the... the he, he said he was going to do the right thing, and to the legislature's credit, in 2013, they remedied that. They gave the supervisors more autonomy uh, to be able to lengthen early voting up mm-hmm. to 14 days and 12 hours a day. They got rid of the onerous restrictions on the third-party voter registration groups that people like Stephen Colbert and, and John yeah. Stewart uh, pan, you know, just parodied with respect to the 48 hours and, and jail time that that were going to come down on individuals who didn't get their voter registration forms turned in. They, so they were it, threatening, just to be clear, you know, they were threatening, uh, as you know, uh, they were threatening, uh, you know, what would happen to third-party groups like the Florida League of Women Voters who had been registering voters there for 70 years or something like that in the state of Florida. They were threatened with jail time. They, uh, you know, if they if they didn't follow these very specific rules that uh, Governor Scott had put in place. So they ended up canceling, I think, in, in 2012, correct? They, they just basically canceled. Right their uh, voter registration drive across the entire state? My colleague, Michael Heron, who's at Dartmouth, and I have mm-hmm. a, a paper that we looked at. What were the effects of uh, that, damp- that dampening on mm-hmm. voter registration drives of these third-party organizations like the League of Women Voters? And you're absolutely right. In uh, the summer of 2011, when that law went to, into effect, I believe it was in late June, um, these groups just withdrew their their, um, sign- their, yeah. their voter registration drives. And as a result, there was a marked decrease relative to the same periods that we looked at in 2007. And it was almost 11 months for uh, those groups to be on the sidelines. So these groups are essential to uh, finding those individuals who are citizens, they're eligible to vote, and for one reason or another, they've just moved to the state, they've just gotten their citizenship, they've just turned 18, um, they just became politically engaged and getting them to be registered to vote. We have an artificial deadline. This 29 days out, um, many other states allow you to register all the way up to Election Day. And I think the judge made a good point and that it's completely arbitrary. Uh, federal law says you can't be outside of, I think it's 31 days. 
Um, but other states, uh, what, North Dakota doesn't have any voter registration? Right. Right. We know that it's a barrier to participation. I love what uh, Rick Scott said. He said, well, everybody's had a lot of time to register. He, he doesn't get to decide that, uh, that well, it's been good enough, close enough. I mean, that's what he said when they were asking, you know, can people vote or, or will you extend the deadline? Eh, we've had enough time. Uh, and then he, you know, added that they've had, and plus you got a lot of opportunities to vote, early voting, absentee voting, so I don't intend to make changes. But, uh, you know, the, the fact that there may be opportunities to vote don't do anybody much good if they're not registered to vote, because as you note, there is no same-day uh, uh, election day registration in the state of Florida. But you also noted, uh, Daniel Smith, that uh, you wrote at the Election Smith blog, uh, many qualified citizens have signed voter registration forms, uh, but they may not have had their applications processed due to the destruction wrought by Hurricane Matthew in several counties. So are you saying that there are uh, folks who did manage to register uh, before the deadline, but who may not have that registration processed because of the storm? Those people who think they're registered may not be able to vote at all this year if the uh, if the judge doesn't extend the time for simply processing those uh, those registrations i think it's a a, a a strong possibility think about the voter who on uh wednesday of last week downloaded our form we don't have electronic voter registration mm-hmm. yet in florida it doesn't get implemented until 2017 so you have to go online and download a form and let's say you're one of these civically minded people who who's worried about Hurricane Matthew, you've got all your preparations, you're about to evacuate and think, oh, I was going to register to vote. Let me download the form. You download the form, you print it out, you fill it out, you provide all the information, you put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, go down and put it in a mailbox down the street. And Hurricane Matthew hits. Postal service isn't working. Um, Who knows what's happened to that mailbox that you've put it in. Uh, That individual, if it is postmarked prior to uh, the mm-hmm. registration date cut off October 11th uh, here in Florida this year. Right. That will count. But there are many reasons why that ma- piece of mail, which normally would have gotten picked up, mm. might not get postmarked, might not even, uh, by, by the date, might not even be processed at all because it's lost. We don't know. And these individuals will have no recourse if they finally get back online and see that they're not registered, uh, if that registration application doesn't get to the supervisor's office. Gotcha. Let me, uh, I've got just a few more uh, minutes here with uh, Dr. Daniel Smith of the University of Florida and of Election Smith Inc. Uh, Dan, let me move the ball forward just a little bit here to from registrations to absentee ballot requests and what we can glean from that. Democrats are requesting more absentee ballots in Florida than they were at this point in 2012, according to the New York Times. We're seeing increases of 50-50% increases in heavily Hispanic areas around Miami and Orlando. Democrats are requesting mail-in ballots in large Larger numbers than in 2012, while Republican participation is declining, uh, New York Times reports. Does does your data in Florida indicate an overall increase in Democratic uh, absentee requests and a decline in GOP absentee requests? Uh, and if so, does that necessarily indicate the Dems are going to do better in, in 2012 down there or simply that more will be voting by uh, absentee ballot this year than they will on Election Day? Right. I think you've got a couple things that I would throw some caution to the wind on these, mm-hmm. these numbers. 
First of all, we have a very different system. Uh, we actually call it now vote by mail as opposed to absentee ballots. Mm-hmm. So that's a statutory change uh, from 2012 to 2016. The other major change is that um, in between 2012 and 2016, the legislature has allowed for individuals to effectively become permanent absentee voters, not to the same extent that you have in California, but you can stay on for, I think it's two uh, cycles mm-hmm. um, uh, in which you can have your absentee ballot then automatically sent to you without having to request it. And many of the counties are actually having a checkbox on the absentee ballot envelope to mm-hmm. say, would you like to renew that? And so you are definitely going to have more people voting absentee ballots than in 2012 just because the system has gotten easier. We have now this permanent absentee ballot status, and many of the supervisors of elections, these 67 county officers, are pushing absentee ballots uh, to voters in a more active way. Mm -hmm. They're promoting that process. So there's no question that you're going to have more people requesting or having absentee ballots mailed out than in 2012. Democrats, especially since Democrats were always behind the curve on absentee ballots or vote by mail compared to Republicans in the past. So I am pretty skeptical about those numbers at this point. I'm going to be looking, obviously, at the the numbers of absentee ballots that are being returned. Mm -hmm. Right now, those are predominantly overseas military and civilian ballots. They're starting to trickle in because absentee ballots went out last week uh, of domestic voters. But I think it's way too early to really say that one party is doing better than the other with respect to requests or or absentee ballot returns at this point. Gotcha. All right. Uh, Last question here before I let you go, Dan. Uh, In in past years, we have seen Florida Governor uh, Scott and his hand-picked Secretary of State down there, Ken Detzner, purging voters from the rolls or and or trying to. Uh, there was actually a bit of a rebellion. I think it was it was it uh, 2014, 2012 or 2014. 2012, yeah. Was it 12? Yeah, uh, by the county clerks or the supervisors of election, as they call them down there, who said, "No, no, we're not going to do this. Your purge lists are bad." And uh, I think we all remember, many of us remember, that there were thousands incorrectly purged from the voting rolls back in the year 2000 that Al Gore was uh, talking about there at the top of this segment. Uh, Many of those were incorrectly uh, uh, purged uh, because they shared the name of a possible a possible felon. Uh, I'm concerned about this happening all over the country once again this year, Dan. Frankly, uh, you know, the people will show up at the uh, at the at the polls and they'll find out only then that they have been purged. Do you have concerns about that once again this year uh, in the state of Florida and uh, and elsewhere at the country that uh, around the country that that may happen to unsuspecting voters? We'll only find out on November 8th. I think it's always a concern Uh, when we talk about voter fraud in this country. It's really not at the retail level of individuals coming into the polls and falsifying their identity and voting twice or three times. That rarely, if ever, happens. Uh, It happens very rarely, but it does happen with respect to some absentee ballots, where it's someone who's Mm -hmm. requested an absentee ballot and has filled it in without the type of verification that the in-person has. Mm -hmm. Where we actually do have some concerns is at the wholesale level in which it's usually someone in a supervisor's office, a, a clerk, um, or someone who's probably, you know, it, it can be malicious, it can be just accidental, is cleaning the records in a way that is not permissible under federal law. Um, and we certainly had that in 2012 when it was the directives of the Secretary of State's office to the supervisor's elections 
first 180-some thousand individuals who they suspected as being, quote-unquote, non-citizens, and then the ultimately 2,625 individuals who they flagged as being potential non-citizens. Most of those citizens, if not all, were uh, the individuals were actually citizens, yep. and uh, they were restored. It was not only because of the, the pushback by the supervisor's elections, it was also li- litigation and a coalition of voting right groups. Um, but this is something that is always a concern in terms of list maintenance, and we should not be having any list maintenance um, of wholesale sort in any state uh, within, I think it's 90 days of a federal election. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should be closing those books and making sure those individuals who were registered two months ago, three months ago, are still on the books and have an opportunity to cast a ballot. There is the fail-safe of being able to vote a provisional ballot, but uh, provisional ballots are um, uh, sometimes there's a lot of paperwork, and they're mm-hmm. not always approved. So it's really important for individual voters to make sure that they are on the voter rolls. And most states have portals where, or counties have portals where a voter can type in their name and their address and make sure that their voter registration forms are up to date, their signatures are up to date, and that they're going to be ready to go either in the early voting absentee or on election day. A very good reminder, one we try to give here as often as possible, and with everybody following this race, this insane election this year, uh, this closely, uh, you know, I'm concerned that people aren't checking their own voter registration quite as closely, so let that be a reminder to you. Uh, Dr. Daniel A. Smith of the University of Florida Research Foundation uh, and president and founder of Election Smith Inc. You can follow his work. You can and should follow his work, uh, certainly on the Twitters at Election Smith and uh, on the internets at electionsmith.wordpress.com. Hey, thanks, Dan. It's always great and informative to talk to you. Uh, I hope you don't mind if we bother you a few more times uh, before and or after the election, depending on how things go in the next few weeks. Always a pleasure, Brad. Of course, I would love not to hear from you, because that would mean everything went smoothly down in Florida, but I suspect we'll be hearing from you again. There you go. I hope to not talk to you soon. Thanks, Dan. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, a quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Melting for you, Desi Doyen. No matter what. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. I guess we better uh, we better get to yeah. it. Uh, we're running late, as usual. Me running late? Nah. Uh, Here we go. Our latest Green News report. I have a comprehensive energy policy, but it really does include fighting climate change. Climate change shows up at a presidential debate. Energy is under siege by the Obama administration. Under absolute siege. But not for long. Plus... North Carolina is in a state of emergency. 1,400 rescues in 24 hours. Some levees can't hold back all the water, and rivers are rising. Global warming-fueled Hurricane Matthew leaves death and destruction in its wake. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. We are, however, producing a lot of natural gas. Hey, keep it to yourself, lady. This is your Green News Report.
Okay, Desi Doyen, major hurricane sweeps through the Caribbean, kills hundreds down there, moves up through four or five states in the U.S., kills uh, more than 20 at this point. And yet, just a day or two later, we have a presidential debate. And once again, there are no questions about climate change. That's right. Hurricane Matthew and climate change were pretty much lost in this very bizarre election season. But just to update, Hurricane Matthew has killed at least 26 people as of airtime in the United States. More than 1,400 people in North Carolina alone had to be rescued after Matthew dumped 15 inches of rain in 24 hours in some areas, caused record flooding and record storm surge from North Florida to North Carolina. It was much worse in Haiti, over a thousand deaths so far and possibly a new epidemic of cholera. Now, the exact influence of climate change on Hurricane Matthew's intensity will take time to determine, but climate scientists and meteorologists are already saying that Matthew was turbocharged by record atmospheric moisture, 10 to 15 percent above normal, and record warm ocean temperatures, plus storm surge that was boosted by rising sea levels, all fingerprints of climate change. Other than that, nothing to talk about at a presidential debate. Yeah, not a single question was asked by either of the debate moderators or the audience members at the second presidential debate in St. Louis. However, an audience member did ask about energy policy. Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump repeated his false claim that the Environmental Protection Agency, rather than the competition from natural gas, is behind the global decline of the coal industry. Now, I'm all for alternative forms of energy, including wind, including solar, etc. But we need much more than wind and solar. There is a thing called clean coal. The EPA is so restrictive that they are putting our energy companies out of business. Not all energy companies. Solar and wind companies are booming in the United States. And in a good way, not in the way that oil companies tend to be booming and killing people when they do. A little fact check here. Clean coal is an oxymoron that refers to one pilot plant in the United States that captures carbon emissions from coal, but is unfinished, behind schedule, and astronomically over budget. The U.S. natural gas boom killed coal in the United States. Trump is a climate science denier, and his call for more fossil fuel extraction would be disastrous for the climate and ignores the popularity of solar and wind with the vast majority of Americans. Facts. Check. For her part, Democratic presidential candidate, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, was forced once again to be the only one to bring up climate change on her own. She praised the U.S. oil and gas boom, however, and doubled down on the Obama administration's policy of calling natural gas a bridge fuel. We are, however, producing a lot of natural gas, which serves as a bridge to more uh, renewable fuels. So I have a comprehensive energy policy, but it really does include fighting climate change because I think that is a serious problem. And I support moving toward more clean, renewable energy as quickly as we can uh, because I think we can be the 21st century clean energy superpower. Now a bit of a fact check here. While it is true that the glut of cheap natural gas has succeeded in reducing U.S. emissions by displacing coal, the fracking boom has had steep environmental costs for water supplies and local communities. Spending on natural gas infrastructure displaces spending on renewable energy infrastructure. And scientists warn that needs to be ramped up rapidly to make up for lost time if we're to avoid the worst climate impacts. And it should be noted because we will hear it from from opponents of Hillary Clinton. She was a big proponent of fracking during her time as Secretary of State. Yes, she did promote the Obama administration's official position abroad of promoting U.S. natural gas fracking technology.
Clinton also made sure that viewers heard that she, unlike Trump or the Republican Party, has a detailed plan to help coal country transition away from the coal industry and its decades of environmental destruction, probably the first time most Americans heard of it. Polls show that even though Americans are still deeply divided on climate science along partisan lines, the majority do accept that climate change is happening and want government action. And, of course, everybody loves renewable energy. Well, maybe Fox News' Chris Wallace will ask about climate change at the final presidential debate. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't it. even get through the sentence without laughing. <laughs> For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Make them laugh, make them laugh. Don't you know everyone wants to laugh? <laughs> my dad said be an actor, my son. Yes. But anything, anything that we can laugh at these days. Anything at all, especially uh, considering that next presidential debate coming I'll up. I'll take it. I'll take it. Good Lord. All right, we got to get out. My thanks to you, Desi Doyen. Great job, as ever. Uh, our producer, Desi Doyen. My thanks to Daniel A. Smith of the University of Florida and electionsmith.wordpress.com. I'll be leaning on him again this year, although I hope not. Maybe everything will go just fine. What could possibly go wrong? My thanks also to you uh, for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated, particularly those of you who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we do five days a week here on the Bradcast. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it forever as free for free at bradblog.com. You can drop me email as well. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And you can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Bradblog. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.